got a lot of moxie, but not much cash. That's true for many startups, and they prove it's possible to succeed on a shoestring. But no one said bootstrapping is easy. And without much capital, a startup is challenging. There are upsides, too, like creative freedom and not being indebted. So today, bootstrapping business tricks you need to know. Want advice on how to make your investment worthwhile? Stay tuned today on Biz 503, the ups and downs of bootstrapping. I'm Rebecca Webb, founder of Portland Radio Project, co-hosting today with Kedma O, director of the SBDC at Mount Hood Community College. Joining us now, an entrepreneur with bootstrapping experience under his belt, Dave Barcos, founder of the Bridge Incubator. Welcome. Thank you, Kedma, Rebecca. It's great to be here. Good Thanks to for have having you. me on. Well, of course, the first question is, what is the Bridge Incubator? Got it. Thank you. Uh, the Bridge is an active advisory up in Vancouver, Washington. We work with early stage startups and help them get to the next level of their business. Kind of interesting because we think of Portland as being such a hotbed of, of all these startup incubators, but I'm assuming there's a fair demand for that in Vancouver as well. There really is. The whole region's been growing, and as Portland grows and starts to bust out at the seams, Areas like Beaverton and Vancouver and, and areas uh, that are connected to it are going to start to see a lot of growth, and that's where we're working. So what distinguishes a bootstrap startup as compared with other kinds of startups? Yeah. The truth is everybody starts out bootstrapping, right? They start out using their own funds to get an idea going, and really early-stage startups should be looking at investment only if they're going to use it for growth. So, Dave, can you explain what that means? Because, you know, in my line of work, supporting entrepreneurs, it's interesting how people have a different perspective on when they need money and what it means to bootstrap. So can you sort of clarify that? It is. Um, most people, when they have an idea and want to turn it into an opportunity or into a business, they kind of bring in the mentality of an employee, right? They believe that what they want money for is to be paid to develop their idea, and that's why they generally lean towards this idea of investment. And that really kind of backs us into a corner, right? What we really need to be able to do is to be able to prove out that there's a business concept that needs money. So that first phase where you're proving all that out, that's when you're a startup. That's when you're proving out the business model. And nine times out of 10, that's done with an individual founder's money resources and connections. So it's probably pretty important for you to have a little nugget and then maybe a good partner, a good co-founder when you begin. Yeah. Talk about the importance of partners and co-founders. It, uh, it'll keep you sane is really <laughs> what it comes down to. You've got to be a little bit crazy to be an entrepreneur and, and, you know, believe that you have something unique that can change the world. And one of the most important things, I just went to an event this weekend where they said, it's important to have somebody to talk crazy to. <laughs> right. Love it. Well, in life, in general. <laughs> <laughs> and I love craziness, <laughs> but especially if you're a bootstrapper. Yeah, apparently. Like it, as an entrepreneur, often, you know, your significant other is going to be the one that you talk to, but that's also somebody that has a vested interest in their security. And sometimes that's risky and dangerous. So let me bring it down, because one of the things I'm all about is understanding how it occurs in real life. So let's suppose I'm a personal chef and I love to cook and I have this vision that I'm going to help uh, working moms by providing nutritionist meals right in their home because they're working and I'm a working mom and, and they're too busy. How do I bootstrap that? I mean, because the first thing that comes to mind is I'm going to want to go to my bank 
to get a business loan because that is what I marketed around all the time. Is that bootstrapping? It is, but we hear that all the time, right, is that we're going to take that first idea and we're going to go to a financial institution. Most financial institutions will not loan on a business level unless you have two years of history and you start to prove that you're profitable. So for most early stage ideas, that's not the avenue. They'll look for personal collateral. They'll look for you to collateralize the loan with you. And that's where they say, you're going to put your house up. You're going to put up any equipment. And that's where you start to get into some really risky things. So are there some kinds of businesses for whom bootstrapping is a good choice and the opposite? It really depends. I've never found, uh, I know people that are bootstrapping hardware companies. I know people that are bootstrapping software companies uh, and food companies. Mm -hmm. So it's really an individual situation. I wouldn't say it's bound to a certain sector. Certainly areas that have high growth the needs are people that should be looking at investment as an option where bootstrapping becomes very hard. So what are some of the different business models for bootstrappers? Like, what are some ways to bootstrap? It's really actually expanded a lot. I mean, crowdfunding is now a very, very viable source that allows you to not give away equity in your company and allows you to also use it as a marketing tool, develop sales on the idea that you're building something that will come into the future. And Dave, in your opinion, because you deal with this every day with entrepreneurs, is there a difference between bootstrapping and lean startup? Lean startup is a, is a business methodology, right? It comes out of the software side. So lean methodology is a process. You can operate lean methodology and you can take on investment. They're not exclusive. Bootstrapping is the way that you're funding the company. It's whether you're choosing to go to friends and families, bank loans, whether you're looking at crowdfunding or, or other local options to pay the bills. And you just brought up something really important, which scared me. <sighs> you mentioned <laughs> friends and family. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Yeah. Is that not like boot scary? <laughs> That's boot frightening. <laughs> Yeah. Can yeah, you talk it really about can that? be. It really can be. Because um, of Thanksgiving. What, <laughs> That's yeah, right. It Christmas. makes Thanksgiving really hard. Yeah. <laughs> it is really scary. One of the things that you have to get really good at as an entrepreneur is helping people crystallize your vision and your dream. Sometimes that means you're putting the best face on. If that's not a relationship that you have with your family that you don't want to continue, then that may not be the best option. Let's talk a little bit more about crowdfunding because that is such mm -hmm. a big part of our world today. And there are yeah. a proliferation of ways to do that. Can you talk about uh, sort of first, I'd love it if you could just maybe encapsulate the history of uh, crowdfunding and then talk about some of the options. Yeah, absolutely. There were a few early stage platforms that allowed for crowdfunding, Kickstarter obviously being one of the most notable. Mm -hmm. What used to happen is that people would throw an idea up and the people would find out about Kickstarter and they would hunt through ideas. And so it became, you know, this treasure trove of great ideas that allowed for a lot of proliferation. So now we have a number of other platforms, uh, GoFundMe, Indiegogo being just a few, and each one now has its own very different usage for socially conscious. You would possibly go to GoFundMe. If it's a product company, you might go to CrowdSupply, which is actually a local company that does amazing work inside of crowdfunding. But what it is, is really early stage market discovery. And that's what's so vital. It allows for an infusion of cash for early stage companies to figure this out. 
Are there some statistics on how many people are successful at this point with crowdfunding or what kinds of companies uh, are able to launch with crowdfunding? I don't have any statistics, but I do know anecdotally that a large number of Kickstarter campaigns are are unfunded, that go unfunded, and partially because of the scale, but partially because people approach it the same way we do, that it's the idea that matters and not the business. They don't understand that you don't just come up with an idea, put it on Kickstarter, and then hope you get your funding. It actually requires a really concerted and conscious effort of communication and, and a strategy and individuals that you know are going to support the campaign before it even launches. So what I'm hearing is a lot of the pros, and I'm curious to know, in your opinion, what cons there are, specifically because I know of a case, which I won't disclose, where a company raised millions of dollars actually on Kickstarter and couldn't deliver the product to their clients, Um, significant issues. Talk to us about cons that may arise when we're bootstrapping. Uh, well, you have to like Top Ramen and Mac and Cheese. <laughs> it's definitely, uh, you, you have to understand that bootstrapping is going to be cash poor. You actually judge the metrics of a bootstrap company very differently. If you're looking at a company that is seeking investment, you're going to look aggressively at what the growth potential is, what the month over month uh, sales are and how that trajectory and the traction is happening in the marketplace. For a bootstrap company, you're going to concentrate on cash flow on profitability. You're going to look at, you know, the little intrinsic wins that happen. Um, companies that pay attention to just that crowdfunding goal, generally those people haven't thought through that delivery process and they haven't set themselves up because we now have a history of companies that have raised 800, a thousand times their goal and it puts them into another world. You've got to be thinking about that going in. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that cash flow rate uh, and and what business people call the burn rate, because that is, uh, you know, talk a little bit more about that risk. Yeah, you need to be able to understand the economics of your business. All too often, people don't. They get so enamored with their idea that they don't pay attention to how much it's costing them to create that. And if you are not paying attention, then it, it's not a business. A business is proving out that you can do something again and again profitably. So when do we do this? At what point, at what stage? Is bootstrapping only really at at the infancy of a business or can it go throughout the cycle of a company? Well, I think that's really important. When we're looking at the reason for bootstrapping is because you need money to do what you do. Well, that's the purpose of a business is to generate a profit, right? So bootstrapping is a means to an end. The end is to be profitable. So the number one solution is sales. Whatever you're doing, you've got to be concentrating on what moves the meter on getting those customers and increasing your sales and revenue. So we talked a little bit about some of the risks of bootstrapping, but talk about the uh, benefits that I alluded to in the beginning with the creative freedom and and why it's so rewarding to some people to keep control of their startup. The interesting thing is we talk about kind of that oppressive model of taking investment and what it gives away control of the company. In the early stages, a company that hasn't taken on investment has the ability to do what's in the best interest of the company if that's not for a profit motive. As soon as you take an investment, you now have a fiduciary responsibility to produce a profit, and that can change the direction of the company. 
Great advice and expertise from Dave Barco. Stick around, can you, for a little bit? We've got a couple of bootstrappers that we're going to hear from, and we'd love to have you come back in a few minutes. I'd love to. Okay. We'll do that right after a short break. You're listening to Biz 503, the podcast for small businesses, startups, and anyone who wants to turn their idea into income. Biz 503 on PRP. Welcome back to Biz 503 on PRP. I'm Kedma O from Mount Hood Community College SBDC, and I'm co-hosting with Rebecca Webb of Portland Radio Project. Today on Biz 503, how to make a startup work on a lean budget. And who better to speak to the realities of bootstrapping than two startup founders? Jared Goodman, founder of Morgan Street Theater, and Marie Daniels, founder of Me Out Loud, a trio of startup projects. Glad to have you with us. Welcome. We're glad you're here, and we're going to give you each a chance to say a little bit about your businesses before we move on to the subject matter. So, Jared, would you like to tell us about Morgan Street Theater? And thanks for bringing your little helper, Jonah. Oh, sure. Well, my baby goes everywhere with me because I'm also a stay-at-home dad. <laughs> Good dad. Um, Morgan Street Theater is a itty-bitty ice cream business that creates artistic ice cream experiences through events that I host all around town. For example? For example, I do events at the Portland Art Museum, working with their art historians and curators and picking out works of art and creating ice cream sundaes inspired by the history and uh, contexts and techniques that define each work of art. Love it. Oh, my God. I love the ice cream. You just (laughs) sold me on this. Definitely. So just give us a background on how you have used bootstrapping as part of your own business model. I'd say that's the only thing I knew how to do. I don't have a business background. And so I started Morgan Street Theater out of our dining room on Morgan Street, not knowing that it was really going to take off in any sort of direction. So at 10 months, I'm guessing that uh, Jonah has not had ice cream yet, or have have you shared the ice cream with Jonah? He he has not had ice cream. We're going to probably wait until at least a year. His older sister is an aficionado, for sure. Too much sugar. Okay. (laughs) Marie, founder of Me Out Loud, tell us about your trio of startups. Hi, Rebecca and Kedma. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate this. So I will say being an entrepreneur in any form is a complete surprise to me and was initially very unwelcome because I was one of those people who just wanted to have a regular job and stable, et cetera, et cetera. And that has been um, probably the opposite end of the spectrum from my life. So all of my entrepreneurship has happened in the last few years. I also discovered that I have an artistic talent, which was unknown. So it's been this combination of trying to becoming an artist and learning what that means to be an artist and also to be an entrepreneur once I discovered that people were interested in the things that I was creating. I think so many people are sharing your journey in Portland right now. There are three parts to Me Out Loud, right? Yes. So I created a facilitation process called Story Clouding that uses art to share stories and we create shared art during the process. My background is in education and facilitation. And I created right around the time of the election, I started doing hashtag art. So I created another small um, art-based company called Hashtag Thank You, which is about thanking people and being kind and encouraging others. And then more recently, I started Curvy Color, which is a body positive 
design and I'm venturing into apparel. So those are the mm. three three pieces. Great. Yeah, I love it. Um, you know what I'm hearing, and I'd love to hear from Marie, but I'm hearing it both from Marie and Jared, just how community-focused you are. And I'm curious, Marie, uh, how did your community impact affect your bootstrapping process? Well, I didn't realize what I was doing was bootstrapping. I just didn't have any money. So <laughs> I was broke. Like when you're unemployed and broke, you're like, I can draw and that's cheap. And I found out I could draw. And so I could now hear having heard Dave talk, I'm like, oh, I'm totally bootstrapping and I may not be doing it very well, but that's kind of what I'm doing. So this whole idea of the community came into play. I was getting ready to hang an art show, for example, and I didn't have enough money to buy frames because they're expensive. And when you're hanging 35 pieces of art, that's a big chunk of money. So I did a very small GoFundMe to get money for picture frames. And people actually gave me money. (laughs) I was completely (laughs) surprised and very, very grateful. So that's an example of how I used my community. And Jared, did you? do any crowdfunding or what was your source of funds? Uh, I started with 400 bucks hmm. and uh, I borrowed a thousand dollars from the family a couple of years ago and I've pretty much paid it back at this point, but that's all the money I've really taken on. I don't want to grow the business too much right now because of the little ones. So for ice cream making, are there some other considerations like were the health department kinds of concerns, things like that, that you are unique to food providing businesses? Well, hopefully they're not listening because everything <laughs> I was doing was completely illegal. Uh, that's how I bootstrap. Um, Save a lot of money on those permits. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, when Morgan I, Morgan Street Theater was me turning my dining room into a dessert club after my kids went to sleep, I didn't know that it would catch on. I didn't know that people were going to keep coming month after month. I didn't know that it was going to get written up as this fantastic experience for people. And so with very little money uh, and very little business know-how, it's just like, I'm going to do this regardless of the legal ramifications. And apparently very few inspections. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, I will say now, over the years, as it's grown and I've realized that I have to take on more financial, not burdens, but costs, I I now use a commercial kitchen. I did a Kickstarter to raise funds for a small commercial machine, which helps with production. You're legal now. I am a legitimate business now. (laughs) We're not ratting them out. (laughs) Nice work. You know, one of the things that's interesting is just in the terminology Um, Because I worked recently with an inventor who said they were bootstrapping. I said, what do you mean? They said, well, I'm actually getting money by going to donate my plasma. I'm like, ooh, that's really bootstrapping. Then I spoke to another entrepreneur. They said, I'm bootstrapping. I said, what do you mean? Well, I told my housekeeper to come only twice a month instead of four Mm -hmm. times a month. I said, well, well, you're bootstrapping. So my question is, is how do you decipher what your priorities are first when you're building your budget, because it's all relative to who we are. Such a great question. Do you want to take that? Well, I will say I should also have mentioned, so my mom helped with some investment in the business. I was really grateful that I had a business because I did not want to ask my mom to help me with, um, you know, being unemployed. So she did help with investment after I talked to her about my vision and she's been a great partner. But For me, it's been really 
making sure that any money I spend beyond just sort of basic sustenance is about what is the product that people are going to like that I can ship. Like, what can I ship? What can I sell? What can I be trying on the market? And so I have taken on debt, which has not been very pleasing, but I don't have a significant other, so I don't have a lot of other support. So I'm just a single person trying to make this happen. So it's been an interesting journey to just say, this is the reality. And at some point, it's not going to be like this anymore because we're working. Jared, uh, how did you prioritize? You Did you cut back your cleaning services? Because <laughs> uh, we're going to sure. report well, that, I too. Well, I am the cleaning service. Um, I mean, to answer your question, I've done everything. I've worn all the different hats. And when I hit certain roadblocks, for example, needing help with my website or needing marketing materials, I had no, I wasn't going to teach myself how to use Photoshop or Adobe or Illustrator. And so I reached out to my community of people who do know those things and they helped connect me with people I could hire. So when skill sets, I I really was not going to learn, I would find the money to pay for it. And then, uh, yeah, Marie. So, so I was going to say just off of what Jonah had mentioned. So one of the reasons I think that I felt really confident is because I do have a very wide skill set. I've been a technology educator for a long time. So I did have a lot of skill sets around putting together a website, turning art into publications, things like that. So I feel very, very grateful for that so that I didn't have to pay for those services because I don't think I could have afforded that. Yeah, I just think that's a really good question is when do you as an entrepreneur decide whether it's worth Mm -hmm. saving the money and learning a new skill and when you should just go ahead and hand that off? And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, Jared. As a matter of fact, I'm taking a business class right now. Oh, cool. Um, this is At the my... SPDC? <laughs> so sorry, yes. go ahead. Oh, yes. <laughs> okay, sorry. SPDC has been a fantastic resource, uh, and I, I promote it all the time. I'm taking my second business class through them. It's a 10-week course on opening a brick and mortar. It's been a phenomenal resource, not only because I get educators who work in the field, but I get this free business advising that's kind of been worth every penny, mm. although completely free. Nice. Jonah <laughs> likes it too. He loves it. And Kedma, do you want to say another word about that? Because, I mean, obviously, as well, leader I, of the Mount Hood SBDC, yeah. you know, that's well, a main... I think it's a good point. And actually, I, I am based at Mount Hood, but I lead the innovation for 19 centers. And what I love about it is highly credible, top-of-the-line advisors, and someone is subsidizing for all that advising at no cost. So yeah, it's a great resource. And I love to plug it. And what about advice on that question of when you should recognize whether you should go ahead and do the task right. because it saves money or whether you should go ahead and branch out and learn something new like Photoshop? Excellent question. The way I look at it is I say very simply, what's your time worth? If your time is worth $40 an hour, And you're able to be out there and correct me if I'm wrong, bootstrapping for me is the word hustling. So if you're spending $40 an hour hustling as opposed to paying someone $10 an hour, $15 for Photoshop, you may want to really look at your time and think about outsourcing that unless you want to become a professional Photoshop expert. So I'm very clear on use of time and what your time is worth. So Marie, I'd love to hear your thoughts and then I'm going to move to Jared. For people listening right now that have a vision, have a dream, what would be the top maybe three steps you would recommend for them to move forward in the bootstrapping process? So I tried starting a business several years ago, and it was 
just not successful because I didn't have any idea what it would really mean to do that. And then when I figured it out, I didn't want to do it. So I left that. I feel like it is like thinking about what your vision is. For me, it didn't start as a large vision. It started as doing art and then getting feedback from people. Oh, we really like this. We really like this. So I think that before people launch, um, it is critical to talk to other folks about what your vision is. See if you can even share that, like what Jared was doing, which was doing this dessert club once a month. And that slowly grows into a bigger vision as people respond to it. So so doing art and then having people respond well to it. And then the vision sort of grew out of that. So I think if you have a bigger vision, one of the critical things is to try to get feedback from other people around that so that you can start to see how you could bring that into the world. Like how that really works. So let me rephrase for the audience. What I'm hearing is first, figure out your vision. Second, get feedback on your vision. And third, cross-correct the vision if necessary based on the feedback you received. Would that I, make sense? Or do you I, want would, to add I, would add, I would just add to that mm-hmm. that you need to be willing to adapt to the feedback mm-hmm. that you get from people. Like that's really, really important is that you're able to sort of pivot when you're getting positive feedback on one piece or you're getting no feedback or negative feedback on a different piece. Excellent. So no matter what phase of business you're in, you may need resources, mentors, and more for bootstrappers when we come back. Are you ready to turn your idea into cash? Or are you already launched and hitting roadblocks? Join PRP each Friday at 1 p.m. for Biz 503 the talk show for startups and small businesses. Welcome back. I'm Rebecca Webb, co-hosting today with Kedma O on Biz 503. And we're covering the how-tos of bootstrapping today, and it's time to talk resources, ways to make sure a bootstrapped business keeps thriving. Back with us in the studio now, Dave Barcos, founder of The Bridge Incubator. Welcome back, Dave. Thanks. Marie Daniels, creative mind behind Me Out Loud. Glad you're here today. And, you know, give us just an overview. I mean, I think there are so many resources available nowadays with the internet. There are. Um, I think I was listening to the other segment, and I think one of the things that's really important is to recognize that bootstrapping is a process of two things. First of all, where you're getting the money, and second of all, how you're spending it. That's why we joke around about eating top ramen, but we talked, (laughs) um, you know, it's a real thing. When it comes to bootstrapping, get educated on where you're going to get those funds from. Talk to the friends, find out if they are an option to come in. Uh, And I always say, don't treat friends as investors. Don't treat families as investors. They're different, right? You just heard two stories of people that took money from family, and the expectation was that that was a loan and it was getting paid back. Mm -hmm. That's fine. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's, that's important to pay attention to. Okay, so friends, family, we've talked about crowdfunding. Other things that we should look at? Or is that... Kedma, yes, you're on. I have to say something. (laughs) Sorry, grants, grants, grants. Mm. Um, So one of the things I'm going to plug is a program called the Individual Development Account. Mm. It's a wonderful grant program that was combined through the federal government for a hand up, not a handout. And you can look it up, IDA, and there is a program for entrepreneurship where essentially 
every dollar you put into a secured bank account, depending on the, the program you work with, often they'll match you three to one, but it could be as high as five to one. And it's a wonderful program. So it's called a match savings grant program. And I recommend it to a lot of our clients. Okay. So match savings grant was individual. Individual development account, match savings grant. So it, you have to qualify based on household income. But the cool thing is, is if Rebecca qualifies, every single person in her household that is 14 and older gets to qualify as well. Mm. So it's a wonderful program. And uh, most of the time you can get upwards of $9,000 in grant form. And that is great for bootstrapping. And is that a federal yes. resource? Yes, it's a combination. And actually one of the programs um, in Oregon you can look at is CASA. Uh, they have multiple IDA programs, but also if I want to plug, uh, MESO is a great program for the IDA, Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, Mercy Corps Northwest. So uh, the great news is, is that the program is available, but there sometimes is a waiting list. I was just going to say there's one other thing that I was thinking about in terms of intellectual capital is looking to the um, business programs at the universities. Mm -hmm. So I have got an application under consideration for one of the senior capstones at yes. PSU, and they will come in often um, and take your business and run you through your paces and come up with plans for you. And Kedma, do you want to have Well, I have, have to because I taught it. So, of course, <laughs> hello, Dr. Appleyard, if you're out there. Um, you are wonderful. And, yes, it's a fantastic program, and what a wonderful resource. And to your point, what a great way to bootstrap. So not only uh, business support or marketing, but there's everything from engineering support mm -hmm. down to cybersecurity. Quick question about the federal resource. Are we concerned that those kinds of grants will be diminishing? Well, uh, it's, you know what? That's a great question. I have to tell you, when our president came into office, first thing I did is I looked at the list to make sure my actual department, SBA, <laughs> was not scratched off. So I think the reality is, is that I believe it's going to be around, but things change. And what's important is, is, is if it's available, you want to look at it. Okay. What about in the community? Are there other things? You talked about capstone programmed at universities locally. Are there other things that you want to recommend, Dave? Well, I want to second the uh, working with the colleges. A lot of times the uh, research centers or the community labs or things like that are available to entrepreneurs that are working against students. So if you have a hardware startup, I'm working with somebody who has a drone company, uh, and they are working with some of the circuitry. They're having a PSU student that actually has access to their labs. So it's not a uh, not grant, it's not money, but it's subsidized because they have access to those sort of resources. Yeah, and I think alongside, if we're looking at bootstrapping, um, I, I have to plug Portland Development Commission. In 2008, I was privileged to get into a special program uh, for commercial condominium, basically to own my own office, and the interest was fixed at 0.04%. So mm. I want to repeat that, 0.04%, wow. which is unheard of. And I think you can get some of those research from really economic agencies, so looking at Portland Development Commission, looking at Business Oregon, and also within your own counties, check out your economic agencies, they are your friends and they may have resources you don't know about. Uh, can I add something yeah, else? Absolutely. So a couple of other things. I think there are three things. One is all the community spaces. So the community maker spaces, 
where mm-hmm. you can go and rent tools and rent time and things you don't have money to invest in. So that's one. ADX and yes. debt all. Yes, yes. Um, the other is things that are targeted towards women in business. So not only community support groups, but programming that might be targeted to helping women get started. Mercy and Corps. So Mercy Corps. And then groups like Awame to work with minority entrepreneurs. Um, so there are a number of the Oregon Association of Minority Entrepreneurs. So there are organizations to work with populations that have traditionally not been as successful in startups. So I just wanted to throw a pitch for those. Great. Yeah. Good summary. Yeah. And I'm so glad you said, you know, traditionally, where, where do we look at diversity? You know, if there's anyone in the audience right now that may have a disability, mm-hmm. check out vocational rehabilitation. Don't tell them I sent you there because they'll slap my hand. But what a wonderful (laughs) program because they have startup funds. um, And depending on that, up to $10,000 up to uh, for a startup. The other thing is veterans, believe it or not. The Veterans uh, Administration has wonderful programs to get back to school. But also, depending on your model, I know VetFran is a Mm -hmm. special program. If you're thinking about getting a franchise, VetFran is a program where they actually franchise or will discount the franchise fee upwards of 100% of their franchise fee if you have served your country. There's a plenty of resources out there. I think you just have to find where to go. The ones that fit. You wanted to add something to, Dave. I did. There's one other, uh, and we don't really consider this, and it's not very well known, um, Workforce Development Council. Mm. They actually have an entirely separate fund for people that want to start their own businesses. Mm-hmm. Is there a risk? I was reading an article, I can't think of what the source of it was, but about how people can become so fixated on fundraising that they forget about running their business and sort of let it, you know. Is that fundraising yeah. fatigue? <laughs> Maybe <laughs> so. Or your business goes to hell in a handbasket while you're not looking. Yeah. Yeah. The financial side is really one of the hardest things for most entrepreneurs to wrap their head around. They're very comfortable around the product idea that they're doing or service. So they believe that the fundraising effort is about telling people how great that product is. It's not. Any sort of time you're looking for money outside of it, they want to hear about the business outside of it. And that financial piece is often really hard. So now you have somebody that doesn't have the skill set inside of that finances that's now spending all of their time in that. That's where that fatigue comes in. So one thing I want to just add to that, and this is just the educator in me, is to say that if you are somebody who doesn't know a lot about finances, know that the learning curve is pretty steep. So that's one of those areas where it's probably worth your time to get some actual professional advice and don't take all of that creative energy and put it into trying to learn everything about all the finances immediately because you are going to burn yourself out and you're going to struggle with the rest of your business. Well, that goes back to that partnership comment as well. Mm -hmm. That's one of the values of it. So I'm thinking if I'm listening to this, I want to find the right resource. Where do I go? Do I go to Google and key in how to find a bootstrapping advisor? Where would I find this bootstrapping person who's going to guide me? <laughs> Who has the answer? Who has the answer? What does that look like? The Mount Hood Small Business <laughs> Development Center. <laughs> I was pretty sure that's where we were going with it. Or the, or the Portland Community College Small Business or Development Center. Or the Bridge Incubator. Great. Do we have any other thoughts? Oh, this was exciting. I just want to see, um, you know, sort of next step. But I want to thank Dave, Marie, and Jared for being on this show for such an exciting topic. Any last words? Marie. 
I think that it's okay to start small. Not that you're passing soon. I didn't mean it like these no. are going to be your last words ever. <laughs> My last words ever. Don't start small. No, I think as a, as a bootstrapper, like start small. And, and the whole point is like be able to flex and pivot so that if you order 5,000 of something, you can't be flexible around that. But if you order 10 of it, you can be flexible. And if it doesn't work, it's okay to set it aside and move on. So I think flexibility. I think it's important. You mentioned the word pivot. We talk a little bit about it, but I think there's also little side jogs that we can take. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the idea Mm -hmm. of a chef who'd like to open up a restaurant. What if they did pop-up restaurants in the process of doing what they were doing to get to it? What if they did cooking classes? Mm. There's other ways because it's about the income that you're trying to generate along the way. And bootstrapping doesn't mean broke. Yeah, great ideas. Next week on Biz 503, we're going to keep the financial conversation rolling and ask experts for advice on how to profit from licensing an idea or manufacturing it yourself. Thanks so much, Marie and Dave, and also to Jared and Jonah, who had to go make some ice cream. (laughs) Appreciate everybody joining us today for Biz 503 on PRP. Have a great weekend. Great. too. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Support for Biz 503 comes from Imix Law Group, offering trusted legal advice to startups and small businesses. Imix for business advice.